0: This is Raymond H. McDonald. I wrote a book called Merle Haggard, was a friend of mine, and my friend, my new friend, Andrew Polk, invited me on his podcast, Picking It Out, and it's an honor to be here, sir. Thank you. Well, it's
1: another podcast. It's just called Picking It Out. That's another podcast, y'all. It's just called Picking It Out. Ain't no telling what kind of shit we're going to talk about. Yeah, cause we're just picking it out. hmm hey y'all had to throw that one in there felt right well thank y'all for tuning in once again to picking it out my name is andrew pope and we've got a guy on here that i'm really excited to talk to uh we're talking a little bit offline here we actually met before uh just for just for one day and uh when we had aaron Enderlin on the show she was telling me that this guy had written a book and a little bit about how back how far back that his relationship with merle haggard goes and i had no idea uh, when i met him and we were just talking uh, about this guy was i mean merle was like a, a second father to this guy Uh, He wrote this book, Merle Haggard was a friend of mine, and I even went on Amazon, I was telling him to get a copy, and they don't have any. (laughs) So uh, we got Mr. Raymond McDonald here on Picking It Out. How you doing, man?
0: Uh, I am doing fine. Thank you for uh, entertaining me today. You're going to be very entertaining, I have a feeling. (laughs) Well, you're going to be entertaining today. (laughs) <laughs> and I loved, I loved your singing and, and your guitar work. And, uh, of course, you're a friend of Aaron and she's such a wonderful person. Oh, she really and, is. And she's the one who hooked this up, so thank you. Should I show the book?
1: Yes, please do.
0: Let me see if this works.
1: Yeah. Can you see it? Sure can. There's an the old bus.
0: It's 326 pages. took me four years to write it uh there's 106 photos a lot of them I took because when you're around someone historical like Merle Haggard even though he's one of your best friends I knew him all my life he was still you know when you took a candid photo of anybody they're kind of like not really ready for but he was always photogenic so I took a lot of pictures a lot of my pictures are in there. A lot of my friends' pictures that I got backstage or something—they take these really good pictures. And his sister is 100 years old, Andrew. Oh my god! She gave she gave me nine pictures from her archives to use in my book. Wow! And so there's some great photos in there, man. And uh, anyway, it was—it's a tribute to Merle. It's a loving tribute to my friend Merle Haggard, who turned out to be a when I met him, he was just stuck. and then he turned out to be a, an iconic individual.
1: How did you um, How did you meet him? How'd that happen?
0: Well, Andrew, he lived across the street from me in Oildale, California, which is right next to Bakersfield. Mm-hmm. And me and my mother were watching a local country music TV show that was on in Bakersfield every day, Monday through Friday. I think it was 4 o'clock, like 4.45. Roy Nichols was in the band. Louis Talley, Fuzzy Owen. Mm -hmm. Al Brumley, Tom Brumley's brother, the Brumley kids, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bonnie Owens was the girl singer. And the leader of the pack was a guy named Cousin Herb Henson. Cousin Herb played piano and sang and He hosted the Trading Post show every day from 4 to 4.45, local, live. They were so good. and My mother was from Kansas. We're from Kansas. And, of course, she grew up listening to country music and loved it. And it was on all the time. But when we found out about this TV show, we thought, well, isn't this great? We get to watch every day. And everybody in the whole San Joaquin Valley watched this show. So one day on comes this new singer. Uh black haired singing, so good. Unbelievable. And I said, Mom, look at this guy. And we're going, man, he's really good. About 15 minutes after the show ended, car kicked up some dust across the street from us. I was sitting by the open window. It was probably spring of 1964, I think, Andrew. And a guy got out of the car, and the car drove off. And the guy that got out of the car was the new singer, Merle Haggard. Merle Haggard, I, I said, "Mom, the guy that was just singing is walking up to the house across the street." She goes, "No, he's not." And she come over and put her head next to my head and looked out over the window. She goes, "Well, it is him, <laughs> and I know, and I know his mother." So somewhere <laughs> along the way. Uh, Flossie Haggard, Merle's mother, lived at this house across the street from us with Merle's four children. As it turned out, he had had a divorce, and he was living there. So the first time I saw him, Andrew, in person was that day. Wow. Now, uh, here's where it gets interesting. Buck Owens was uh, married to Bonnie Owens in the 40s and 50s. They divorced in like 52 but this is 1964 and Merle Haggard and Bonnie Owens had a record out just between the two of us, an album. You, are you familiar with that? Yes. Yeah. you, you seemed like you would know all
1: this. Holding things you, together on there.
0: No, no. You didn't write that till later, but anyway, just between the two of us. Yeah. So anyway, that was their album. And so, Buck Owens and Bonnie Owens, two boys of my age. Buddy Owens, they called him Buddy Allen. He was on Hee Haw. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's two years older than me, and his brother Mike is my age. And we met in junior high, so I'd go over to their house all the time. And the first time I actually met Merle, he was coming walking up the sidewalk. Of course, I knew who he was by then. And he'd seen me run around playing in the yard and throwing the ball up and down the street. So we'd seen each other a lot. And he came in the house, and I'd never met him till that day. And uh, I had a guitar that I didn't know how to play, and I was strumming on it. The first thing he said to me was, why don't you tune that guitar? (laughs) And I said, I don't know how. And I think he tuned it, but uh, we became really good friends, really good friends. That's the first time I actually met Merle was that day at Bonnie's house.
1: And he was just like a, like you'd known him his whole life probably, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, he was a very humble, very kind, unbelievable talent. I mean, that singing just knocked me out. You know, they, Bonnie had a copy of his new record, uh, Strangers. It was his first album on his own. And me and Mike and Buddy listened to it in, in their bedroom one day. And we're going, my God, you know, this guy. Unbelievable singer. And he was just the sweetest guy, too. He was only 27 when we met. I was 14. And it turned out that uh, Bonnie and Merle married a year later in 1965, June. And uh, my parents moved to Los Angeles. And, of course, I had to go with them. So in 1965, here I am going to L.A. I didn't want to go to L.A. Uh, I wasn't in, happy in my hometown with my friends. But Bonnie and Merle got married and I didn't like Los Angeles because they had the Watts riots in 1965 in August. So I called buddy and Mike and I said, can I move back to Bakersfield and live with you and Bonnie and Merle and and Bonnie's mama. And later Mike Owens, who was my age, he he said, uh, he talked to uh, Bonnie and said, Hey, can Raymond move back and live with us? And I guess initially her and Merle said, no, we got enough teenagers already. And Merle's got four kids at home. And so Mike said, well, if you don't let him live with us, he's going to wind up in prison. <laughs> that must have that reverberated with both of them because they said, okay, he can live with us. Plus I got along with him fun. We were really good friends by then and we laughed all the time. And Merle knew that we were big fans of his. I mean, how could you not be? Yeah. And, and and he liked that we gave him so much uh joy as teenagers enjoying his music and telling him straight to his face, that's really great, man. And plus he could play the guitar. He was he was so talented even then. But that's initially the way that we met. And I wound up living at his house my sophomore year of high school, Andrew. Imagine that.
1: I mean, that's, did y'all ever have show and tell day?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, those Owens boys were pretty uh, popular in high school. Their dad's Buck Owens, and he had Tiger by the Tail and Buckaroo and all that. It was even playing on the rock stations. Then along comes Merle, And Bonnie was a big star already in Bakersfield. I mean, everybody knew who Bonnie was. So they were pretty popular. I, I was hanging out with them. It, it was an incredible time. I, I love sharing this story. and That's why I started the book. I didn't want the stories to be lost.
1: Yeah. It, it, I think it's a testament to what kind of people that he, him and Bonnie both were, you know, and and people do need to realize and know these kind of things and, and what happened and, What do you think it was that he just, you know, took such a liking and and developed a trust level with you at an early age?
0: He knew I was honest. He knew I was honest. He told me many times, he said, you know, his dad died when he was only nine years old, but he learned a lot from his dad in nine years. And he said, my dad hated liars. And he... Boy, he knew how I told the truth. I want to work for him off and on through the years. And every time I was around him, boy, he, he wanted honesty. He wanted it all the time, whether it was good or bad, telling the truth. And when you go to work for somebody, as you well know, or, or anybody that you're dealing with, you got to tell them the truth. Yeah. And, and he trusted me. He knew I knew it. I mean, I lived at his home for a year. He taught me how to fish. This boy played us his music all the time, took us to recording sessions. Andrew, he took me to watch The Bottle Let Me Down, June 1966. I'm sitting in there watching Glenn Campbell, Bonnie Owens, Ralph Mooney play The Steel, and James Burton played the lead. I was there. I'm probably the only person left in the planet that was there. Yeah. And, and I sat there quiet as a mouse. I said, now, Ray, you got to be real quiet here. And I said, all right. And I sat right in the studio. 10 feet from him while he sang The Bottle Let Me Down 40-something times. Wow. And they finally got it right after about three hours. And Ken Nelson, the iconic producer, said, come up in here to the control room and listen to your masterpiece. That's what he would say. And they all go up and listen. And I'm following them and just, I didn't say a word. And I just, you know, this is history, man. It's in my book.
1: Yeah. Just taking it all in. I I can't imagine being that young too. And just being in saturated with that kind of world, you know? Yeah. But then at the same time, you know, this, you're seeing him there in the studio, kind of in his, in his element. And then you go home and he's cooking breakfast probably.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. He was a great, great man. He, he was so sweet to us. Uh, I was on Willie's Roadhouse with Dallas Wayne 2-3 weeks ago. Yeah. I told him about 45 minutes worth of stories. And he had a few that he wanted me to touch on. And I did. But it's 52 chapters, so it's 52 stories. They're kind of short. Some are only 2-3 pages. But there's a lot of stories in there like one of them's called Brother George Jones. One of them's called uh February 3rd, 1960, A New Life, and that's the day they let him out of prison, San Quentin. Uh, Don Markham's mentioned in there. He's a longtime horn player, one of his best friends. A guy named Johnny Cash. There's a, a chapter on Johnny Cash in there. Uh, a guy named Willie Nelson. I call it Willie Poncho Nelson. And uh, Garth Brooks. I call that one another Okie. Darth Brooks. And uh, when they all came around, Merle, whether it be Willie, George, Garth, Dirk Spentley, Carrie Underwood, Leanne Womack, when they came around him, they were like, we love you, but it's almost, especially the younger ones, like, we worship you. Yeah. Tim McGraw and all those cats. They're like, man, first time I seen Martina McBride. Saw her on TV, and Merle was walking up to Nashville Now recording or something. She'd never met him, but her, you, they put the camera on her, and she took a step back and put a, her hand on her heart like, my God, that's Merle Haggard. He meant so much. I'm sure he does to you. Uh, absolutely.
1: I can't even put it into words.
0: You know any of his songs?
1: Oh, yeah, a few. <laughs> <laughs> a few.
0: How many songs do you know, Andrew? Uh,
1: 376. <laughs> <laughs> Off the top of my head.
0: <laughs> do, you, do you, uh, do you have a f- couple favorites?
1: My favorite memory. I love chill factor, uh, natural high. Uh, my God. Freddie Powers. Uh, Kern Rivers wrote that. Yeah.
0: Kern River. Ho, yeah. Ho, ho,
1: ho. Love Kern River. There's a video yeah. of him and, uh, I think him and Freddie on Ralph Emery show doing that when he, you know, is like, play us something new, you know, Ralph, play us something new that you, are, oh, okay. you uh, didn't start doing that. and, I mean, it was just him and a guitar. I love that. Just him and a guitar when he would just kind of be on a show, on a talk show and be just throw something out there.
0: Uh, I've seen that YouTube video probably 40 times because yeah. he sang it so great. The first time he ever recorded is on live on national television. And he sang it perfect. I mean, there was something about that era when he was, he's always a perfect singer, but right in there was like, ooh. And the crowd went crazy. And remember, Porter Wagner was sitting there. Yeah. And after the song was over, the crowd's going crazy. And Ralph says, What do you think, Porter? You look like you're watching pretty intently there. And <laughs> Porter says, And and people should look this up on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Earl Haggard singing Kern River. With uh Ralph Emory show and Nashville Now and and Porter says he's a dangerous man with a song. <laughs> yeah. And he said, I think he sings better than anybody telling a song. Ever. Yeah. And yeah right. He,
1: man, and I'll tell you what, Ben, he's got
0: it. He Ben's has an incredible talent. He's when he gets his own music going, he's going to be a dangerous man with, with a song.
1: Yeah, absolutely. A he, already he already is.
0: He You know what? That kid, he started to, uh, you know, he used to drive the bus and we drove him around, played lead guitar for his dad for a long time, since he was 15, played lead guitar for his dad. And one night, you know, when you when I'm driving that bus, for for your listeners and, and the people watching this, uh, I drove that bus. Here it is. On the front of this, I'll show this again. You can kind of see the last bus. And, oh, there's my ring light. But anyway, uh, you can see the Santa Fe logo on it behind mm. me and Merle, And that bus was a brand-new Prevo that Willie Nelson talked him into buying because Merle used MCIs all those times. So anyway, when you're driving that bus right there, after a show, you take off, as you well know. Here we go, 300 miles. Well, Merle would always come up. He'd had his show. He was feeling really, really good. And he'd sit there and talk to me for a while. Mm. Benny would do that too. Benny came up one night, and I heard him sing a few times, but he was really shy about it. And his dad's Merle Hack. Yeah. So how are you going to top that? He came up and sat right next to me with an acoustic guitar, Andrew, and he, he sings me Yesterday by the Beatles. It was the prettiest version I'd ever heard other than Paul McCartney. I looked at him, I said, that's the prettiest I've ever heard. And he uh, was really shy about it, but then he would come up and sing me Dave Matthews, Mm -hmm. just like him and, and play the guitar like him. I'm thinking this kid has all the talent in the world. One of these days, I'm praying that he gets the right music, his own music, and starts like Hank Jr. did. Let's go off and do your own music. Now you're going to be fine. You can play your dad's music. Right. That's not going to give you a career.
1: Right. Yeah, and Shooter, too. Shooter Jennings.
0: Yeah, there's a few guys like that. You know, Willie's boys are both extremely talented. Yes. And, but they got their own music going too. see. Yeah. So anyway, that's the next, uh, bunch probably.
1: Well, Jeff Cook told me one time that the first time he met Ben Haggard, he was on the bus because Jeff, as you know, if, if, if y'all were anywhere around Mississippi, you know, the Carolinas or Georgia or Alabama, he would come out sometimes and be one of the strangers, you know? bring him a lamp and set him up in the corner Merle would recognize him during the show, whatever, you know? Yeah. And, uh, Jeff said, yeah, first time I met Ben, it's on the bus there before the show. And Merle said, this is my son, Benny Haggard. He's a, he's a guitar player. And I didn't find it out till about a month ago when his mom (laughs) made him play in front of me, (laughs) found out he could play better than I could. And that's that's kind of funny because you wouldn't, you know, I don't know. I guess you just wouldn't think about him, Merle, not knowing that he had been studying them licks and, you know, all that. He he does them so well. Ben's amazing to me.
0: Yes, he is. He's extremely talented.
1: I remember the uh, PBS, I believe, did the documentary Learning to Live with Myself. Uh, Merle, I, I, to this day, I think that was one of the best put together documentaries, you know, driving around, um, from his childhood. Uh, I think it was Oldale, wasn't it? Where they he was driving around just in the truck with him and Mm.
0: man, I, yeah, we were, we were looking for that box car that he grew up in. Yeah. His dad, uh, had taken a box car in 1935 off the railroad tracks that they weren't using anymore and he built a house out of it. It's, it's been moved to the Kern County museum in Bakersfield. They took it apart and put it all back together. And it is the diamond of the, uh, of the whole Kern County museum, which is an outdoor area in, in Bakersfield. It has all these old buildings that they've taken and put out there and put back together. Fire stations, police stations, great, wonderful old Victorian homes. You got to go there, Andrew. Yeah, I took air. I took Aaron and Kayla Ray there, and they freaked out because when you go into the house, you can actually sit in the chair that Mama rocked Baby Merlin. Oh my God! Amazing. It's a. It, it, I mean, if you if you want to go to the Beatles' house, you got to go to Liverpool. You want to go to Frank Sinatra's house? You got to go to Hoboken, New Jersey. But if you want to go to Merle Haggard's house, you got to go to Bakersfield, and it's there. It's there. It's incredible. It's it's you get the chills. Ken Burns did that documentary, you know, that country music documentary. Yes, and uh, he went to Bakersfield, and Jim Haggard, who is Merle's nephew, his only nephew. He's about my age, almost seventy. He is seventy years old. Uh, he took him in there, along with Lillian Haggard, Merle's sister. Ken Burns and all the people that put that documentary together. It took them eight years to do it. And uh, they cried. Mm. The, 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 I was told that they, they literally cried that they were in that house because that's where he came from. That's where he first heard Jimmy Rogers, Bob Wills on a record. Oh, on the radio. It's it's un- unbelievable. Everybody should go to Baker School and go to that.
1: Yeah, by far. I, I I hope to get back there one day and, and see that. That would be a very emotional experience for for me. Yeah, yeah. For oh sure. yeah,
0: man. You might as well get your put yourself a gig. We'll get you a gig out there if you want to play out there. Yeah, I need to. Get I got back an old boy. There. I got an old boy that helped me from Aldell, from North High, where I went to school. with Buddy and Mike Owens and all these kids. It's in the book. And he helped finance the book. He's such a huge Merle Haggard book. Owen's name is Kip Sullivan. And he has bought a bar out there in Old Hill that used to be a, oh, I'm going to say it was a feed uh, station for right there by the railroad tracks where, you know, they throw all the feed on there and run it around wherever mm-hmm. it goes. And it's a hundred years old and he bought it he's refurbishing it. It's called a rustic rail now. And, uh, he's going to make a bar out of that. Now when he does and we get going, you need to bring your guitar. I'm (laughs) there. You got a band.
1: I got some guys I can get round up. Yeah.
0: And if not, we'll get you a band. Damn good band. Monty Byram and all those cats from big house lived there. Yeah. You remember big house? Big house was a great big group in the nineties. They were, they were uh, uh final five finalists for ACM Band of the Year in 1999. That's how good they were. And this band named Alabama beat them. And they all lived there. They're all friends of mine, and they play with you in a minute. They'd say, what song, what key? Here you go. Hang on. I mean, they're really, really good. So if you could just come out there, I'll get, I'll get you a gig on L. Tomorrow, I mean, they love cats like you coming out with your, with your guitar and your. I can tell you sing really good. And, no, I, and come, come on out, man. We'll take you out to the uh, box car and we'll take you to the Kern River. Kayla Ray and Aaron England insisted that I take them to the Kern River, <laughs> well, and I did. A good time now. Uh, they loved it. And by the <laughs> way, we drank beer.
1: Oh, uh, they drank beer. What kind?
0: Uh, course.
1: Oh, what what did Murrow like? A <laughs> big, big drinker? Never no. heard
0: anything about him. Mm, no, I <laughs> never seen. You know what he had? He had a deal with George Dickle whiskey in mm-hmm. the nineties.
1: Remember him wearing him hats a
0: lot. Yeah, 80s and 90s. And he, of course, they provided it to him, but I never seen him drunk in the 52 years I I knew him. Ever, never. And he'd take a little shot of whiskey every once in a while and call it medicinal. And it was. That's the only reason he took it. He didn't get drunk. i never seen him drunk. But uh, beer, i never seen him drink a beer. Uh, He wasn't, he didn't drink. He smoked. You know, once he got about 40, he put the camels away. And and his doctor said, you know, here, try this. This will help you. That way you won't have to drink. And I guess he was drinking up to then. I don't know. I didn't see him drink. And, of course, we were all drinking some. Yeah, uh, but no, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, i never seen him drink beer. What do you drink? Any kind. <laughs> <laughs> Any kind. <laughs> I'm not
1: somebody. A huge... uh, somebody I'm told
0: actually... me yesterday. Somebody told me yesterday. Uh, there was some lady, and they were asking her, "What kind of beer do you have? Do you like?" She goes, "An open one."
1: <laughs> I should have said that. That's better. <laughs> no, you know I. I really, I mean, uh, at a show or something, I'll, I'll have a little whiskey and something that just kind of helps me loosen up and helps me also my throat. It helps my voice stay strong the whole night. Uh, I'm not a big beer drinker anymore. I went through that. Uh, I do like a cold beer if I'm out, you know, like (laughs) cutting the grass or something like that. I love a cold beer, the taste of it, but I'm not there and just drink a whole case and (laughs)
0: <laughs> you, know. you drink that bush down there
1: oh yeah we bush got beer yeah
0: where you live at
1: north alabama
0: what's the name of your town
1: uh my hometown is in geraldine we live in Hennigan geraldine now. geraldine <laughs> you know her that daughter. sounds
0: like flip that sounds like flip wilson, flip <laughs> wilson that, that, probably most of your you know you have a young audience i'm sure flip wilson was a big star and he dressed up like a girl every once in a while. He called himself Geraldine, so that's why I laugh at that. Where where do you live now?
1: It's just up the road, uh, probably 35, 40 minutes, a little town called Henniger, same county. Henniger,
2: Henniger
0: and do you fish there?
1: I haven't been. It's been way too long since I've been fishing. I was just talking about that earlier today, actually. We need to get to fishing.
0: Well, that's Uh, what Merle did all the time. Yeah. That's the way to relax. Plus you get dinner too. Real good.
1: It's therapy.
0: You got any uh, bass up there?
1: Oh yeah. Lake Gunnersville is the number two lake in the country for bass. Lake what? Lake Gunnersville. Where Jeff Cook lives.
0: I see. Uh, You can bet Merle knew about that.
1: He's been down there. Uh, Jeff, actually, Jeff's got a sound studio in Fort Payne, where those guys are from. Fort Payne is just 15 minutes from here. Yeah. Jeff has a studio. I've actually recorded stuff there before he's had Merle there before. And they've got a little, wow. sec- they've got a little, uh, session that was recorded. I've never heard it,
0: but wow, um, he's got it. Well, the, 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 you bet it's good. Oh yeah.
1: You, you know, Jeff pretty well, probably don't you?
0: Well, I met him only on the road and met him when he'd come around, you know, I, I really don't, uh, When gentlemen like that would come along uh, that Merle allowed to come on the bus and be a part of it was very, very rare. Yeah. So no, I kind of stayed out of the way when a man like that would come around. Of course I had tremendous respect for him. Uh, Merle really liked him. He really loved those Alabama boys. He really did.
1: You know, he, he was one of the first ones to kind of let them, work with him they wasn't scared to do that in the early 80s when they were taking told,
0: off. well Andrew Merle told me that the live album he did at Anaheim Stadium mm-hmm. they opened the show really yeah and he had another opening act on that show named Willie Nelson
1: <laughs> you kidding me no oh man I didn't know that
0: and he was the first one to do a concert, a country concert in a baseball stadium. It's named Merle Haggard.
1: Is that the one that's on YouTube?
0: I'm sure it is.
1: It's during the day? Yes. yes. Well, it looks I, like it is. I didn't know that was the I wasn't same not I wasn't
0: there. I wasn't there. All I know is <laughs> he was, you know, he had all these giant hits and they said, you know, let's try it put all those acts on there and I, I'm not sure how many people they had, but it was the first one in a baseball stadium They had him set up out by a second base. That's and, right. uh, yeah, that, and you know, that was Gene Autry's team. He owned the a- Anaheim angels. Gene Autry.
1: Yeah. Well, what was it? What was it just a normal, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are wondering what, how was it just living with, with Merle
0: and Bonnie? Great. They were so happy. They both had their careers going. Merle was writing these songs. They were making national TV. His first number one came in 1965, I'm a Lonesome Fugitive. Mm. It's in my book. The, the award came in the mail from Billboard. It was a, a wooden decoupage that had the top 50 songs of the week. And at the top of it, it said, Merle Haggard, I'm a Lonesome Fugitive. Came in the mail. and I was there. And he got that. He goes, look here, boys. And he immediately found a nail and a hammer. And started walking around the house looking for a place to, to put it up. And we went in the living room, the kitchen, his bedroom, and the hallway. I think we went everywhere with but the bathroom. And <laughs> we were following him around, me and Bonnie and uh, Bonnie's mom and buddy and Mike Owens. And he was eu- euphoric, and he finally found a place. It was in the hallway. It's in my book, and I was this 15-year-old kid. i say, well, why would you put this in the hallway? Why don't you put it up there above the mantle, like everybody puts all their awards? And he goes, "Ray, hey. he goes, I'll pass it more in the hallway than any other place in the house. Yeah. I'll see it more. <laughs> That's right, too. So that happens. And he was on TV, started being on TV like uh, it was Jimmy Dean. He was on Glenn Campbell's show, Good Time Hour. He was on Johnny Cash's show. And that wasn't during that year, but it it happened. And I kept going to the house later after me and Buddy and Mike moved. I moved back to my mom and dad. And Buddy and Mike moved out to the ranch with this guy named Buck Owens. And that's after uh, our sophomore and Buddy's senior year. But anyway it was great. I mean, can you imagine uh, Bonnie and Merle were deep in love. You know she was 8 years older than him. Really? I didn't but, know that. But she needed him and he needed her bad. She helped him write these songs. Yeah. She sang harmony on almost every Merle Haggard record. Right perfect. Oh,
1: their harmony was the best to this and day. Glenn Campbell
0: yeah, I and mean, Andrew Glenn Campbell sang on all, all those records. He sang on Mama Tried. He sang on Bottle Let Me Down, Swing Doors. You can hear him. If you listen real close, you can distinctly hear Glenn Campbell mixed with Bonnie Owens.
2: Mm.
0: Mm. It's never going to be repeated.
1: No. No. it's That was such a time. You know, huh. uh, the... Uh, I think it's an Austin city limits and even then it's like the live performances. Cause you know, to me, that's the real test. You know, you, you hear these groups or somebody singing harmony with somebody else and you think, Oh, it sounds good on the record or whatever. But then uh, you you hear a live show somewhere and it, it's just as tight sounding and just as, I mean, Bonnie just fell, their voices just, hers just fell into his and just, the transition and the phrase and the everything. It was just amazing what they did. Uh,
0: Oh, it it was a testament to their commitment to be professionals too. They, they really worked hard at it. They were on the road all the time. We saw them maybe a week out of each month, maybe Mm. two weeks at the most, because they were always on tour driving around in a station. (laughs) wagon. Then and then his first tour bus was a truck that he put a cab over camper on it, like Buck Owens had for his group called the Buckaroos. First time we go out to his house and he he had a camper, uh overhead camper, you know, goes over the top of the cab. Yeah, like a shell. Yes. And that's what Merle had for the strangers. And so I was walk I rode around in those. We loved it. And We'd go fishing sometimes for a week and go to Democrat hot springs, or Miracle hot springs up down the Kern river. Oh, he loved to go to the current river and fish. And just, we'd stay out there for a week in that camper.
1: What do you think it was about the current? I feel like he, he drew inspiration or something from the current river.
0: Well, his dad was his hero. And as I mentioned earlier, he lost his dad when he was nine years old for those of you who listeners, your podcast friends. Uh, that's unimaginable to lose your hero, your dad at that age. But his dad was the one who took him fishing. His dad is the one who took him down to the Kern River. And of course, with that, that's in deep in your soul, your heart. He loved that Kern River, man. And by the way, that song, Kern River, which you mentioned earlier, this a classic Haggard that came out about, what, 81? Somewhere in there. Yeah. And uh, for those that don't know the song, probably most do, he says that he lost his best friend in the river, a girl. She drowned. She drowned in the moonlight, as you well know, according to the song. Well, I, I never asked him about it. Took me 30 years, and I had a lot of friends. That light was getting really bright. Uh I had a lot of friends ask me about that, because they knew I knew Merl so well. They said, is that true? Did he lose his girl in in the moonlight? Did she drown? So one morning we were coming back from a long tour, and we've gone way out about where you're at, and all the way back to California. And when we would get to California, he started getting happy because now he's getting close to home. Lived in Palisado by Redding, California, which is all that's by Lake Shasta, which is almost to Oregon. So it's a long ways, Andrew. So anyway, we're sitting in this uh, truck stop in Bakersfield. sun just came up, beautiful summer morning. And he came up and sat next to me at six o'clock in the morning while I'm fueling the truck, I mean, the bus. And, and he hardly ever did that. But he came up there. And uh, it was pointing at the mouth of the Kern River, which was probably 15 miles away. And, and I don't know why, Andrew, but I said, uh, "Merle, uh, it's taken me 30 years to get the courage to ask you this question. It might be closer to 40 years. Did you lose your girlfriend? Did she really drown in the Kern River?" And I was expecting the worst because you don't want to bring those things up if that really happened. And he said, No, he goes, I made that one up.
2: Uh, yeah.
0: And I said, Well, go. my friends have rumors going for years that it was a dog that died in there, or one of your horses died in there, or it was a friend, another friend, or somebody. And he goes, No, I made that one up.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've done the same thing, you know. Uh, who knows where, where the inspiration comes from, too. I mean, it's, I, I love that song. He's got, heaven was a drink of wine, it, uh, I mean, there's so many, man. I, I could just go on and on. And I've played them all at the bars, of course. Um, yeah. Just, you know, over the years, I still do. I still throw Haggard in there any chance I can get. Um, I heard a story one time about, Merle and Bonnie, how he would write songs and she would write the words down. Did you, when he wrote today, I started loving you again. Was you there?
0: No, no, I wasn't there. Okay. I've heard, I've heard different versions of how that came about. Yeah. Uh, from Merle, from Bonnie. And there's kind of a little different version thing going on there.
1: Uh, but,
0: but the main thing is that, he wrote it down, I think, on a brown piece of paper bag. I think that they tore it apart. He wrote down all the lyrics, and he sang it for her, and and she, she said, "Well, that's great," but uh, he had it. I started loving you again today, and Bonnie said, "You need to flip that around." Yeah. He said, "What do you mean?" She said, "Today." I started loving you again. And he said, so she was right. She got half the song. It makes all the difference too. And she wrote, I'm sure she had a lot of to do with hundreds of his songs, at least writing them down. In fact, I saw a video somebody put on YouTube. I don't know. They were out at the mansion that they built at the mouth of the Canyon about 1970. And they lived from like 70 to 75. And she's sitting No, she's cooking something in the kitchen. He's sitting there writing a song. He goes, Bond, come over here and write these words down for me. So she dropped everything real quick and ran over there and she's writing down the words to this song. "Uh, Someday we'll look back. And she's writing the words down to the song and he's singing it to her for the first time. She's giving him a couple of words. She's looking at him like, this guy is really good. Even though that was her husband, he'd already been a superstar, but she's still looking at him like, oh, this guy, the stuff that he's come up with in the singing, it's remarkable.
1: How, how, what a gift for you just to be able to see the, see the both of them in that moment.
0: Yeah, and again, I wasn't there. That was a YouTube, but I saw him on other, uh, many other occasions like that. You know, uh, people think that I was with him for 40 years and all that. Some people try to make a a big deal that I was there all the time, and I helped him. I didn't. I I went my own way. I had my own life. I was a disc jockey for KUZZ, for Buck Owens, and uh, that's in the book. Uh, So I would occasionally stop by the house or see him, Andrew, uh, but, of course, I played these records all the time on the radio. He'd come to the station every once in a while and do interviews with me. In fact, in my book, uh, Ray Baby from K-Baby, that was my nickname on the radio when I was 18. <laughs> in, in 1968, he showed up one night. And uh, he brought with him an album. Uh, you know, have you ever been to WSM? Oh, yeah. In Nashville? Yeah. Well, for those that haven't, There's a window, big window, and you can just stand right there and look in and watch the DJ. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the way it was in this KUZZ in Bakersfield in this hotel. And he came in one night at 2 in the morning. I was on midnight to 6. And he knocks on the window. And he had a couple of people with him. And uh, he holds up this album didn't have an album cover or anything, but you could tell it was an album and he knocks on her and points at the album. And boy, I ran around and let him in. And he says, how would you like to play my new album on your radio show right now? And I go, of course I will. What is it? He goes, what's well, a two record set. You know, I've been working on it. Jimmy Rogers tribute called same train a different time. <laughs> uh. I got him in there. Of course, I played all four sides all the way through. And we talked about each song and that's in the book. And that happened on my mother's grave. That happened. And that was one of his terms too. In other words, if he wanted your attention, Mm -hmm. hey, look, this is the truth. Yeah. And oh my God, are you kidding? California blues waiting for a train. Uh, Frankie and Johnny, have you ever heard that album? Uh. Uh-uh. Oh, we got to get you one. You got to go online and put it. You, you won't believe it. It's Roy Nichols, James Burton, Glenn Campbell, Norman Hamlet, and uh, Bonnie. It's, it's one of the greatest country music albums ever. Merle Haggard's tribute to Jimmy Rogers. Four sides. What year was this? 68, 69. Oh, man.
1: Yeah, I've got to find that. I don't, th- I don't think I've ever heard that, if you can believe that. I don't know how.
0: Well, again, you can go on YouTube, and a lot of it's on YouTube. Almost everything is on YouTube. And it's free on YouTube. That's what I like about it. But at the same time, if you download it, or you can even find the vinyl on eBay and stuff, with, yeah. the, with the great lyrics and all that stuff, you know what I'm saying, Andrew? Yeah. You got any vinyl at your house?
1: Oh, yeah. I got Rainbow Steer in there. I well, that's
0: it. the album I'm talking about at, a- at Anaheim Stadium. Anaheim, yeah. yeah. Yeah, with Alabama. Uh,
1: uh, so how long did you end up actually living with him and Bonnie?
0: Just that one year. Just My that son, one year. one year of high school, yeah.
1: And a lifelong trust and camaraderie and oh, friendship yeah. came.
0: Oh, oh yeah. And And you know what happened was, 2001 – uh, I got a divorce. I've been married 28 years. And so I called him. I said, look, I've got a divorce. Why don't you give me a job? I need a job. And he said, well, come on up here then. And he made me his personal assistant and the manager of his office and his office was in his living room. And a lot of the stories in this book, by the way, it's book, baby. That's how you find it. BookBaby.com. You can find Merle Haggard was a friend of mine. So anyway, that was 2001. I was there for a whole year working with him. He made his office his living room. So when the phone rang and I answered the phone, he wanted to hear everything I said to whoever it was calling. And it was everybody from Rick Rudin to the higher, higher ups at Columbia, Capitol, uh, the, some of the biggest names in the business would call. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I would say it. And if he didn't want to talk to him, I'd say, Bill Brown or whoever it was, and he'd, he'd be over there smoking his pipe. I always had that pipe going over there. And, and no, no. And I'd say, well, Merle's not here. Can I take a message? Uh, it's in my book. Sirius XM called him in 2001 when I was there. And they, they wanted him to have his own channel. And was an upstart. And he didn't want to get involved with them. It's in my book. He didn't want to get involved. Anyway, that was the year I spent for him. And then he called me in 2009, the middle of the night, I was driving limousines and I had a commercial license and he called me about three o'clock in the morning. I lived in Bakersfield and he said, uh, Hey Ray, can you come to uh, Dallas tomorrow and drive my band bus? My band bus driver quit in the middle of the tour. We need a driver. Can you drive a bus? And I go, well, I never drove a bus. He said, we'll teach you how. To just get on the plane and give us Social Security and driver's license. See you tomorrow. Bye. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so I flew to Dallas. Old Frank Mole set it up. And I uh, flew to Dallas. And Norman Hamlet and Fuzzy Owen taught me how to drive that bus. Even though oh, I've been man. driving real long limousines. I okay. hadn't drove a 45-foot. 24
1: ton bus <laughs> it's a little different.
0: but Merle but Merle trusted me yeah. of course the band members are you know they're I knew them all and they all pulled me aside and they go uh, Ray uh you ever drive a bus I go no yeah oh roll their eyes oh what's Merle <laughs> done now uh, <laughs> but after a year of on the band bus uh we were in Lake Tahoe and I was exhausted because I had no idea how hard it was to drive a bus and be on the road like that. That's the hard part. Mm -hmm. The music's wonderful and all the crowds and great to watch it, but it was hard. And after a year, his son, Noel was with us. And I told Noel, I said, I think I've just had this. I think I'm going to quit because it's too hard. And he said, Okay, next thing I know, he called me in the back of the bus and told Merle. Merle called me back there, and Merle says, uh, Ray, uh, I hear you're thinking about quitting. (laughs) And I said, uh, well, it has crossed my mind. I said, this is way a lot harder than I had any idea. You can't sleep right. Can't eat right. You're on the road all the time. It's three, four hundred miles every night. Ten thousand miles in two weeks. Father, oh, this is exhausting, man. I said, "How did you do this? How you been doing this for fifty years?" And he looked at me and he goes, "Always had his pipe, big draw, and blew it out." And he goes, "God," <laughs> one word answer. And- he goes, Ray, you don't want to quit and die and stand in front of Jesus and have him look down at you and go, you didn't quit Merle Haggard, did you? <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, I said, now that you've invoked the name of Jesus, <laughs> I'll stay with you all the way to the end. But this is insanity. <laughs> this is really, really hard. Next day, he made me lead driver on his bus for the last five years of his career. Well, I missed a couple of shows because he was really sick. And I could see it. He, I could tell he didn't want to be out there anymore. He might have wanted to be out there, but he was too sick with pneumonia, the cancer had come back. I, we had him in the hospital in Palm Springs. And I just, I, I, for reasons I haven't revealed, except to some people, I, I, I quit. And he only was able to do two more shows anyway, but we could see that coming. He was, he had given it his all. And as you know, he died on his birthday. He was 79 years old. Died on April 6th, 2016. Just a few months after I had resigned just because I saw it coming. Mm. And so did Benny and a lot of his family, but he, he was a fighter. He was a tough, tough man. Oh my God. He was a tough man. Honest, kind. He was a gentleman, but he was on too. Of course he was. I mean, the guy went to prison and came out and you couldn't intimidate him. Not the only people I ever seen him intimidated by, or not intimidated by, but so like, enamored with was Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson.
2: Mm.
1: Johnny had a huge influence on Merle. He was in the, he was in the crowd at the. Uh, I, I remember. I don't remember where I found that out at, but that was just like, wow, that's God right there.
0: Yeah. Well, for one, for Johnny Cash coming to San Quentin in nineteen sixty, I think it was New Year's nineteen sixty, and Merle been there. Merle said, "I went. I sat in the front row." He said, "And I seen Johnny Cash do a show for these prisoners, and he took over the whole prison, and they all fell in love with him. And that's when Merle said." okay, I'm tired of being John Dillinger, Clyde Barrow, being a bad guy. I'm going to be a good guy like Kim. I'm going to sing like Kim. That's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to straighten my ass up, and I'm going to be like that. Before he knew it, he was on radio and on Johnny Cash's show, and they became lifelong like brothers. He loved those two men, especially Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson.
1: Did he ever talk to you about his time in prison?
0: No. Oh, no. In fact, I brought it up one time about two or three years before his uh, his uh, his death. We were somewhere near San Quentin prison, and me and a guy named Tony Owens, no relation to Buck, he sold T-shirts for uh, Frank Mall, and he was getting in a cab and heading over somewhere. One day, we had the day off. And uh, I said, where are you going? He goes, I'm going to San Quentin. I want to see it. I go, well, can I come along? He goes, sure. So we rode over to San Quentin. And you pull up to the gates of San Quentin. And you can't just go in there. It says, no, you got to have a pass or you got to be a family friend. It's whatever your name needs to be on that. Yeah. But there was a lot of really beautiful uh, homes at the start of San Quentin. Probably, I don't know, lives there, the warden, maybe people. And and then off to the left is the San Francisco Bay, this body of water. It was a blue, beautiful blue day. We looked at it and you could see the prison, of course, the yellow walls, but they don't let you in there. So we went back to the hotel, Murrow was sitting there and me and Tony went to Murrow and we said, hey, we seen, uh, seen San Quentin, boy, those buildings are real nice outside there. And he goes, stop right there. He goes, that's a horrible place. Men screaming at night, crying, all kind of stuff going on in there. It's horrible, man. And that's all he ever said about
2: it. Mm.
0: He didn't want to talk about it. And I never asked him except for that. I just told him. We went there. He said, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm. No tell him what was going through his mind.
0: Well, he survived it and he did the right thing. For one for Johnny Cash. Who knows? He might have just come back out, and went his criminal ways, but he didn't. And uh, God bless Johnny Cash for doing that. He yeah. he loved him,
1: and God bless Ronald Reagan too.
0: Ronald Reagan, boy, he gave a pardon in 1970. He said, "You've come from the lowest part you could go to, the worst prison in America to." Uh, the, the top country music singer in the world. And <laughs> 10 years. And uh they were good friends. He loved Ronald Reagan.
1: I bet that meant the world to him to get that presidential pardon.
0: Oh yeah. And then he got one later from Schwarzenegger because as we found out uh the pardon he got from Reagan didn't allow him to have the use of firearms. He couldn't own a firearm. Really? So in 2009, that was determined. So they went to Arnold Schwarzenegger and the current sheriff of Kern County, Donnie Youngblood, became friends of ours. And he got involved in it and somehow got Schwarzenegger to know about it. Schwarzenegger looked it up. He goes, oh, just give him a new one. And then they wrote in that he could have firearms again. He was thrilled. He was thrilled.
1: Did you, you said you had not kind of been around, you know, leading up to his death. Uh, Right. Was that the last time you talked to him?
0: Uh, Andrew, he called me a few times during that era from January, February, March, two or three hospitals. They were trying to save him, but all the doctors, he told me, he says, these doctors are telling me there ain't no chance. You're, you're on your way home so to speak, and he accepted it. And he was, he's, he was such a, uh, a Christian and believed he was going home, going home to see his dad. He kept saying that I'm going home to see my dad. He was tired and sick and he would call me and tell me some things. Uh, he told me that, and of course, just, what do you say? You say, I'm so sorry. And he, uh, He had a new album. In fact, me and my son and Merle wrote this song called It's Too Lonesome for Me. It's in my book called My Three Songs. Merle recorded three songs I wrote. And I'm not a professional songwriter. I just wrote some songs and he liked them. And he recorded them all. Losing in Las Vegas. I Wish I Was Santa Claus, which is the name of a Christmas album he did. And then the last one's called It's Too Lonesome for Me. And we talked about that album a lot because he had finished it with Buddy Cannon was the producer and that song was on it. And he wanted that song to be the name of the album. And he, I, I heard it once or twice on a CD that he had, but it's still not out, but he talked about that a lot about that album. And he wrote, he wrote some great songs for that album and he recorded songs that, uh, you know who blaze foley is oh yeah so blaze foley wrote a bunch of great songs and Murrow was a big fan of blaze foley man so he recorded two songs blaze did on that album uh clay pigeons wow. and "Ooh love this great ballad and wow. it was so good it's freaking me out because here he is 75 years old, no, 78 when he did it, still singing great. He had the Nashville musicians along with his horn player, Renato Caranto, and Benny put a couple things on a few songs, but the album is so great. Five years later, still not out. Mm -hmm. I don't know why the estate doesn't put it out because it's his last studio album. Don't you think there might be some interest in that, Andrew?
1: Yeah, I've heard kind of rumblings up about it and I wish they would get it out and get the, I guess the legalities or whatever of it figured out. I think we need it.
0: Oh man, it's good. Um, he, he did King of the Road. Uh, uh, uh. And man, I thought that was so cool because I never heard him sing King of the Road. Mm-mm. And Roger Miller was one of his best friends. Yeah. He loved Roger Miller. He said it made him laugh. Yeah. He told me this story about Roger Miller. He went to Roger Miller's house about 65, 66, when I lived with Merle. Well, at that time, he had King of the Road, Do Wackadoo," uh, Dang, Dang me. Dang me. "Y'all take a rope hang me. <laughs> all those great songs. He had like seven Grammys and all that. When we went to Roger's house. And this is when I lived with Merle in 65, 66. He came in. He said, well, I went to Roger Miller's house. And he showed me a check, the BMI check. Songwriting. And he said, uh, said, Merle, you might want to start writing more songs. <laughs> Look at here at this check. And he showed him a BMI check for $75,000. I said, okay, I, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Merle wound up with like 30 BMI awards for 1 million plays plus.
1: Wow.
0: One time he got a, a in the mail, I was 2001 in his office. He got three of them in one day. And they're really nice, as you know. They're, they're big and one million plates. And I forgot the other two, but one of them, he goes, say the names of those songs I got, right? He's over there playing his guitar. And I told him two of them, I forgot what they were, but I got the Rambling Fever. And I go, Rambling Fever. And he goes, oh, Rambling fever, and he got really, really emotional. Like it was his child he got an award. Oh, he loved it. See, I, I, I was privy to all this.
1: Wow, hmm. amazing, just amazing. Did you? How did you hear about his actual when he actually passed?
0: His son called me. Uh, Benny called me. I was on my way up there. I was living in Las Vegas at the time and Benny called me and he said, my dad is, you need to get up here. He wants to see you. I said, well, I'll be there in in a week or so. I got to clean everything up here, get everything set up. He goes, no, Ray. He's he, he doesn't have any time. I said, well, I'll hurry as much as I can. And I drove to Bakersfield, and stayed the night. And then I was headed up to his house. And Benny Haggard called me about nine o'clock in the morning. And he said, Ray, uh, dad took the nine o'clock train. <laughs> I knew what that meant. Mm. And I said, Well, this is the call I've dreaded all my life. Uh, I said, I'm sorry. He said, Well, you need to come up here. I said, I'm on my way. And I drove up there that night. But uh it was sh- shocking, even though I knew it was coming and he told me it was coming. And it it stuns you still. And I was in shock, I know, but I had friends come and help me, like Kip Sullivan, Lauren Stumbaugh, Chuck Seaton. Uh, they all came around me and grabbed me. And they said, let's go somewhere." So I said, okay. So we went to the bars where Merle used to hang out and play. We went to his favorite restaurants. We went to his homes. And uh, they saved me through the day because uh, I'd say that day, I almost just passed out four times. And I have to put my head down and try to put blood to my head. So I wouldn't just pass out. Mm. But All of that day, I still reverberated to what he said. I'm going home to see my dad. When he was sick in Palm Springs, about four months before that, he said, if this cancer is back, he was sitting in a wheelchair and he had his smock on already in the emergency room in Palm Springs. And and he said this, Andrew, he said, if this cancer is back, And he'd had a bout with cancer eight years before in his lung. He had to take a third of his lung out. He said, pointed to the heavens. And he said to me and Benny, and there's a few other people in there. He said, if this cancer is back, I'm not going to let him treat it. I'm going home to see my dad. (laughs) I'll never forget it. That was verbatim. And he meant it. Yeah, <clears throat> he, he he won't go home and see his dad. He ain't seen him in seventy years. And look what happened—he became the great, greatest country music star in the world. Mm-hmm. And and his dad went there to to hmm So that oh, I'll never forget that. That's in my book.
1: Uh, You talked about him calling you sometimes late, you know, in the middle of the night and stuff. Vince Gill said one time, uh, about, I don't know, a few days before Merle passed that he was in the bed and he woke up in the morning and he had a voicemail from him and it was, he had called at like two or three in the morning just to, to thank him basically. And for the yeah. years of friendship and told him how talented that he thought he was and he was a fan and it's like, he knew man, he knew,
0: you know, well, and by the way, Vince sang on two songs on that album that we're talking about. Mm. Him and uh, Sonia uh, sings with that family. Isaac? Yes. Oh, yes, yeah, that's great. And, he, him and Sonia Isaac sang harmony. Oh, wow. He was thrilled, and nobody's heard it. I called Vince Gill, and I said, hey, man, do you got a copy of that album? Because They won't give me one. I said, they're, they're keeping that tight wrapped. I want the, at least my song. It's too lonesome for me. Even me my son, Benjamin, and uh, and Merle wrote this song. He goes, Ray, he goes, they they won't even let me hear it. And they were, sure won't give me a copy. And I said, well, Vince, I called him on the phone. I said, Vince, uh, well, the reason I called you, because they won't give me a copy either. I figured I'd just go around the back door, and maybe you had it at your house. <laughs> he laughed. He goes, I ain't got it. They won't let me have it either. So it's sitting there somewhere, Andrew, and nobody's heard it.
1: Well, (laughs) somebody needs to get that damn thing out there. (laughs) We're saying it right here, right now. I'm picking it out. We need to get that album out there. People need to hear that
0: record. Oh, man, it's so good. It's unbelievable. Oh. I wish they put it out. Of course he probably had a hundred or 200 songs up in, up in the can, the can, they called it, uh, up in tapes and can not digital canned up at where he lived, where he lived up in Northern California, uh, hidden in a basement somewhere.
1: I don't want to take, uh, too much of your time. I appreciate you coming on and sharing, sharing some things from your book and, you know, from your life, uh, I'm thank you so much for writing this book and for oh. sharing this. There's a lot of musicians like myself that Merle is like such an inspiration. His writing, his singing, his guitar, playing his, uh, kindness. Oh, his authenticity.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yes. And, and you know what? That's great. I want to show you the introduction page. Okay. In my book, look at this picture. Can you see that? Yeah. Look at him. Yeah. Look at that guy. He was probably seventy-five then. I think this was taken about twenty fourteen. Look at him. That was in Folsom, not at the prison, at a community center. And my friend Dan Spees took this picture, and it says, "To the legacy and memory of Merle Haggard, with love." And this is a. Look, man. I got pictures in here. <laughs> it's just unbelievable uh all these pictures they give me, and let me show you another picture of when Merwin was a kid. Oh, there he is with leroy Parnell
1: oh yeah, he's a talented guitar
0: player. there he is but... there he is with uh Dale Earnhardt. Dale Earnhardt, Johnny Paycheck, Brooks and Dunn. Yeah. I took that picture. There he is with uh, Ricky Wasson and J.D. Crowe. Do you know who that is? Uh, Those are the Bluegrass Boys.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: J.D. Crowe is the uh, legendary, and so is uh, Ricky Wasson. Yeah. And uh, look at this picture.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: That's when they moved the boxcar from Oldell out to, and that's oh. Kip Sullivan behind it. Uh, and Oldell, Uh they moved it to Bak- Bakersfield to, And Don Mark and give him that t-shirt and that uh, fishing hat, that San Francisco Giants hat. And look at him. He looks like some guy coming off homeless off the street.
1: Yeah. But that that's, had... how he,
0: but that's how he wanted to look. He didn't want nobody to recognize
1: him. That had to be quite a day for him.
0: Look at that picture of him singing there. Yeah, Yeah. there's, this is, uh, this is book maybe, this is, you can get this. This is, I wrote this for his fans. It took me four years. My son, Benjamin, edited it. A lady named Rebecca Sheeran, who I knew in high school, and she knew Merle. Uh, She's a computer genius. She's a high intellect. She put the whole book together for me. And my sister Connie is a retired school teacher in California. She edited it. So I had a team uh, put that together. It took years, but it came out good. And it's for country music fans. People that never even heard of Merle Haggard are going to go, oh, and they're going to go, oh, once they hear him sing. And the ones that do know that he was the man are going to, believe me, I've had hundreds of people already go, this is this is great. We didn't know this about Merle. Yeah. We didn't know what kind of breakfast he ate. We didn't know what he was thinking. Uh, the insight into how much he loved animals, his friends. He was a really, really good, solid man. And uh, I did it for his fans and for my family and for his family. Uh, it, it, I don't want those stories to be lost.
1: Well, God bless you, man. Thank you. You too. For that. Uh, I can't wait to read it. I'm going to find me a copy. By God, I'm going to find me a copy somewhere.
0: <laughs> well, uh, if you go to bookbaby.com, just go to bookbaby.com and go. Merle Haggard was a friend of mine and you'll see it. And they'll print it right there and ship it right to you.
1: Can people follow you online anywhere?
0: Oh uh, I've got a YouTube channel, Raymond H. McDonald. I'm on Facebook, Raymond H. McDonald, And I put a lot of pictures up there, Merle, and things that people don't have that I do. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't do it every day, but it's, it's fun. And I, have, I did a, a video with Merle, interviewing him about his songs. And uh, Benny Brown, had a record label and they did a tribute album to Merle. Merle had me interview him about the songs on the album, about 12, 13 songs. That's mm-hmm. on YouTube, uh, about four. I think I put about four of those interviews up there asking him about Mama Tried. Where'd that come from? Asking him about Sing Me Back Home. And he told me the whole story about Sing Me Back Home, which is far out. I mean, my God, the guy was in prison. Yeah, And he's sang Sing Me Back Home. Warden led a prisoner down the hallway to his doom. I stood up to say goodbye like all the rest. Mm. Come on, man. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. And these melodies. Yeah. These melodies, if we make it through December. Mm. Yeah.
1: I love that. Come on.
0: Bob, let ride.
1: Oh, misery and gin, even though he didn't write that one. That's another one of my favorites. Talk about melodies. That's that's. That's on up there with the melodies, man, that one, that one's, you know, then, you, not any basic guitar player can play that one the
0: right way. And in fact, he, I asked him about that on these videos and he said, yeah, Clint Eastwood called, said, uh, I got a movie called Bronco Billy. We want you to sing a couple songs in. It. So he said, all right, and this guy's wrote the song he went in and, and sang, uh, in front of 40 different, uh, in- instruments in front of in Nashville. And he said, there was four guys sitting up there fanning lead uh, rhythm guitar. There was famous guitar players, including James Burton and a couple others. I forgot the names of them, but he talks about that uh, in those videos. Well, I put them on my Facebook page two years ago, August, just a few of them at 50,000 likes in like an, 24 hours because it got shared and yeah. liked and I didn't want to be lost. And it was me interviewing him. So I said, I've got it. It was sent to me and I put it out there.
1: I'm going to check that out myself and everybody else needs to, too.
0: Yeah. He was a, a special, special human being. We, we were for, we're fortunate to live in this era. And, and the story you told me before we come on the air. Yeah. You told me about when you met him. Yeah that that's, that's indicative of his spirit. You know, he tried to help new singers and song. He gave you his private phone number. You told me. Yeah. I didn't even
1: know. you. Didn't even know me, but from five minutes from, you know, getting introduced by Jeff cook, you know, I didn't go up asking for his autograph, uh, but never called.
0: (laughs) Well, if you were a, if you're a singer songwriter that got close to his heart, because there's I something special about people like you and Aaron Enderlin, Kayla Ray, all the hundreds of great singer-songwriters that are in all over America.
2: Mm,
1: he knew. Yeah. Uh, I know that now. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was just scared at the time, man, because it's Merle Haggard.
0: Every time I called him, I talked to him 300 times. I was still, mm-hmm. this is Merle Haggard. Yeah. He'd call me out of nowhere a lot. He'd go, hey Ray, and of course I had to, I knew it was him calling. I'm like, man, get that call quick. Yeah. And I had I had him set up as crickets because when he first took his fishing, me and Mike and Buddy uh first took us fishing on the Kern River, he had uh night crawlers, salmon eggs, and crickets. So when I put his phone, whatever you call it, announcement, whatever, uh, the ring was set to crickets wow. because he was, he was a fisherman. Yeah.
1: Well, man, uh, we sure do appreciate you Ray and, uh, for doing this. I appreciate you for doing this and, uh, um, we all do, I'm sure for writing this book and sharing videos and, you know, your life, with the world.
0: Oh, it's my honor. And I wanted the stories to be told loving tribute to Merle Haggard. and Something about a guy like me who was fortunate enough to come along and and be a a fraction of his life.
1: Uh, You were uh, probably at least half the pie, I would guess more than a fraction from the sound of it.
0: Uh, Well, I'd I'd, I'd probably be more like (laughs) one sixty-fourth. I mean, uh, uh, not not half the pie at all. That was Bonnie. That was his family. That was his mother, Uh, Roy Nichols. Uh, All the people that helped him so much, Fuzzy,
1: Fuzzy Owen.
0: You know, fifty years was his manager. I mean, that there's there's where you're getting a big slice of the pie. I was just the guy kind of watching. And then when he brought me along to drive him, I didn't have no wrecks. You know, I I, I was safe. No one drinking, smoking, nothing, man. He knew I was, I had a huge responsibility and he trusted me. Yeah. And 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 that's where I made a contribution. Musically and all that, I was, look, I wasn't even good enough to play in the local band, but I was good enough to stand up there and play a few songs, you know, and he knew that. <laughs> Yeah. He knew I wasn't good enough to play in the Strangers. There was no <laughs> way. <laughs> I mean, those guys the best in the world. If you wound up in Moroigan Strangers, you're one of the best musicians you ever heard. And I met them all, and they were all great. All of them.
1: I love the bit that he did during the show, too, where he introduced the Strangers, and they'd all go around shaking each other's <laughs> yeah, hands.
0: Like, yeah, <laughs> like they never met. Yeah. <laughs> And he was a funny man. He was, he always told funny stories and he was almost always in a good mood, but when he got in a bad mood, his eyes turned black. I never seen a person's eyes turn from color to another color. I, I've but seen that. So when he got really, really mad, his eyes turned to a different color. What is that about? Man? I
1: don't know. I've seen that before. I've seen that in certain people. I've wondered really? the same thing. Yeah, Right. Really?
0: Well they're special people. There's some they got they they were dealt the hand, the whole yeah. Hand man, they just had it. They had extraterrestrial powers. He was he was way out there. He was such a great man.
1: Well, like I said, we appreciate you uh coming on, sharing this, and y'all go to bookbaby.com and buy yeah. this damn book. Maybe maybe we can get Buddy Cannon or somebody to pull some strings and get that record out. It ain't up to Buddy, I know.
0: Come on, Buddy. No, he's Buddy plays it straight down the line with stuff like that, and he has to. He has has contractual obligations, and of course he does. Yeah. At the same time, he's sitting there. He don't own the masters. The masters are with the Haggard somewhere, probably somebody's trunk, I think I heard. Oh, I don't even going to, I don't want to mention that guy's name. This lawyer for, mm. uh, the Haggards. He's, he's, he's let's put it this way. I'm going to say it right now. And I haven't said it publicly to anybody, anytime, but he's not a good guy. Mm. I don't need to say his name, but you know, there's good guys and bad guys. This is a bad guy. And I think he's one of the reasons why this album's not out. And he knows who I'm talking about. So does buddy.
1: That's unfortunate. Um, oh. It'll come
0: out someday. It'll come out someday, and it'll be a real treat for his fans.
1: Yeah. Well, Ray, I don't want to take you more of your time, but we sure appreciate you coming on, and you've been watching Picking It Out, and we'll see you next time.